But oh boy, in first year, I was a number. Turned it was like 40 to 43 hours per week in classes and lab. I tried to project this image of like always having it together. Hey everyone, it's Aria. Welcome back to season two of the Outliers podcast. You're listening to part two of Serata's episode. Now, this episode was interesting to me personally for so many reasons, not because I'm going into engineering, which I'm not. It's because Serata brings so much valuable content that pertains to students that are going into any career in general, not just engineering students. She talks about how to deal with self-doubt in university when you're surrounded in a room full of geniuses. Post-secondary can seem like a really intimidating and competitive place, but Sarada talks about the key to making your post-secondary career successful and therefore enjoyable, and that is the key takeaway from this episode. Without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy. Let's go to our next question. To define, imposter syndrome refers to an internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be. So what was your experience with imposter syndrome? Everybody experiences imposter syndrome. Like it's definitely not a one-off experience. Women are more likely to experience imposter syndrome. For me personally, I think it was like a gradual descent into like self-doubt because I started university being really confident in my academic abilities as most people from McGee I think will probably feel having done relatively well in high school and that's pretty common as a theme for your first year. I definitely prided myself on my academic achievements and in first year when I wasn't able to quite achieve the results that I wanted at first I began to experience a little bit of self-doubt on top of that being really hypercritical of myself. It was really further amplified by my surroundings. So I distinctly remember being in a group project where I felt like my competency was being scrutinized by my male peers. So they would ask me things like, are you sure you can handle X, Y, Z? Or like, are you sure you know how to use a power drill? And I was just kind of like, yes, like I'm pretty sure I know how to use a power drill, but like maybe I should question myself a little bit more on whether or not I do know how to do that. And I think that really transferred into the academic setting and like I'm writing a test and I'm like, is this really the right answer? And I'll start doubting myself and I'll say, wait, I'm pretty sure this is how you do this, but maybe I'm wrong. But those moments for me really began to culminate in my subconscious. And I also feel like as I began to achieve certain milestones during my undergraduate degree and in my early career, like win awards or competitions or get jobs that are pretty competitive, I started to question my credibility even more because I I kind of just thought to myself, like, wait, there definitely are people who are more credible than I am. How the heck did I even get this job? How the heck did I win this award? Which is ironic because like those accomplishments are supposed to endorse my credibility and not the other way around. But I like, (laughs) for some reason in my head, it was like, wait, do I deserve this? And I constantly questioned myself. The effects of this was pretty detrimental to my emotional and mental well-being. A lot of the effects are very internal. I really didn't show it externally very much because I tried to project this image of like always having it together and always having the answer, which 
made me feel like even more of a fraud because I was like projecting that I was like emotionally okay and that I was credible. <laughs> but like, but some of it, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, please send help. It was like a silent <laughs> SOS signal to like literally anybody. Yeah. But what I realized is like, it was something that I was doing to myself. There wasn't really any moments where people were like, you can't do this. Which is weird because I actually experienced some of that in high school. And yet my thought process at the time was like, I'm going to show you, I can do it. <laughs> and then in university, because like I was in such a different environment, I usually I'm quite sure of myself. And I, I'm not saying that in like an arrogant way. I'm saying it in a way where it's like, yeah. you no, know, like I dedicated time to like learning about something. And so I'm sure that I've, I've learned it. For some reason, I wasn't thinking yeah. that way when I was in university until the end of my third year, actually. Right. It'll come back in bouts, like, during work and during my job. But for sure, like, that was kind of like my descent into imposter syndrome, if you will. I know that you were the, like, top 1% of grades at McGee. And so I imagine that when you went to Western, you realized that you were surrounded by people who are also the top one percent at their schools too yeah yeah for sure and like yeah. that can definitely be difficult and i can't imagine what it was like for people who went to like u of t or ubc or mcgill because like they're like the top like 0.25 percent right <laughs> and like one of the reasons that i picked western instead of ubc was like literally because i knew that if I went to UBC, I would actually get drowned out by all the other incredibly talented, incredibly like smart and intelligent individuals and peers that would also be attending um, that university. So I kind of was like, you know what, Western, it's a smaller class size. It's a place where I feel like I could reach out to a professor and they would still know who I am and I would really just be a number. But Absolutely. oh boy, in first year, I was a number. Like, I was, like, barely existent, for sure. And that's really something that you kind of have to carve out for yourself. Like, you really do have to work when you get to university to, like, get recognized and, like, make sure that your professors know you. Like, that's not going to just happen because you do well in their class. Like, you have to talk to them. You have to participate. You have to take an interest in their research if you want to make sure that you can build a network at university. And I yeah. definitely didn't do that for, like, literally the first two and a half years. I only started doing that, like, at the end of my third year because that was when I felt confident enough because I literally yeah. felt like I didn't belong there for two and a half years. So... Yeah. yeah. And you still ended up fine, though. Yeah, is, I still ended up fine. Great. Like, this yeah. is where I am at right now. So I think this, yeah. I think it's okay. It's, it's not, like, you know, super amazing, but it's also, like, I have a full-time job. I think that's pretty good in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, so. full-time job at the top four biggest tech consulting companies in Canada. I think that's more than all right. But um, what was it? Oh, yeah. I think it, I mean, this is a side note. If you were an employer... Would you rather hire someone who went to UBC, like who was just like, all right, or would you rather hire one of the top at Western? That's another big question that my family made me realize. And also, we're going to focus on like the, the things you can do to help with imposter syndrome now. What do you think is a mindset that you think students should have? Yeah, well, I, I don't think like 
overcoming imposter syndrome is like a thing. It's just something that you constantly have to work on. So like, and you need to put things into perspective when you start feeling those moments of self-doubt, you kind of take a, have to take a step back and recognize like, you know what, this is how far I've come. You really need to recognize like your past accomplishments and realize that you are indeed capable. And I think one of the ways of thinking that really helped me is I would remind myself that there's someone out there who's actually less qualified than I am doing something that I wanted to do. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is like looking at people who are in positions that I'm in right now and like how they got there and realizing that there's like very real steps to the process and not just that like you're never going to be able to achieve something that someone else has achieved because that also puts you into like this really bad mental space. So you have to go step by step by step, right? Like you don't just get from point A to point D. And a lot of the times I feel like people are at A and they're looking at, at point D and they're like, oh my God, I can't do it. But they're, they're missing B and C. So as you work on yourself and as you get through those points where you're like, oh, will I be able to get to B? Yeah, you can get to B because there's there's a very like short jump there. So like you really need to take a step back and, and put things into perspective. I think that's like really like my biggest takeaway and like how I kind of deal with it when I start feeling like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to accomplish this. Or I'm, I'm like, I don't deserve to be in the, at this point here. You take a step back, look at all the things that you've done in the past. You do deserve to be here. Take another step back. Look at all the things that you kind of have to do to accomplish what you want to accomplish and then just plan it out from there, map it out. It's a very analytical way of thinking about it, but I it helped me. So I hope it helps someone else out there as well. 100%. Absolutely. It's helping me. I'm not even going to engineering. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our next question is, what other aspects of engineering were difficult. And I know last time you talked about the workload. Yeah, so engineering can be difficult in different areas for everyone. But I think I found like the environment of engineering the most difficult. So don't get me wrong, like the workload is very demanding. In first year at Western, it was like 40 to 43 hours per week in classes and labs. And then on top of that, you had assignments and projects. But I would say the workload is, is doable. It's demanding, but doable. And I think one of the hard things about engineering is realizing how important it is to kind of like balance out your workload with other parts of your life so that you don't like burn out and like just crash and, you know, completely disintegrate as a human being. But setting time aside to like do something that you love, like work on something else or to exercise, that's something that I had to learn through my undergrad for sure, because I was like so focused on like the academic portion of my life that I really didn't give much time to anything else. But back to like finding the environment difficult, engineering is a male dominated field. Like that's not news to anyone, right? So it's definitely intimidating to be a female in engineering, but I reiterate, like if you find a group of people who are there to support you, and who are your people, you will make it through engineering. That's basically the crux of it. It's like you need to find people who understand your struggles, who get what you're going through, who maybe it's a group of engineering friends that are also going through the same thing because that was it for me, like a group of like four to five people that just like really understood 
me and like were my support system throughout this very demanding undergraduate degree, that's really where you need to be at to like succeed in engineering. So find your people, make sure you balance out your workload. Because the weird thing about engineering and studying when you're in engineering is that you can always study more. <laughs> like you can never study enough for this degree to be honest with you. There's always more that you could do. You could always try to cram this chapter in or like maybe this will be on the exam, right? But there's a fine line between finding out how many hours you want to dedicate into studying where there's not really that large of a margin to gain in terms of like academic success after that. Because like after, I'm pretty sure it's like 86% on the final exam, the work that you need to put in to get like the next like 1% gets like exponentially uh, tougher you know right. what i mean so yeah it's like the uh 80 20 rule if, if people don't know what that is it's like 80 percent of results come from 20 percent of effort it's probably not 80 20 it's probably like closer but <laughs> to get that idea for for people yeah yeah wow. yeah for sure so yeah. that that also applies right like that's the, there's definitely a fine line between that and like you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're like dedicating 100% of your time only to this because as humans, like we need social interaction, we need sleep. There are a lot of things that you need to like be healthy physically, emotionally, mentally, and you're not going to be able to fill those voids with just academic success. So yeah. That's something we have to keep in mind for sure. So like engineering was difficult for me to balance at first because of that, definitely. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Outliers podcast. If you have one piece of advice that we can do to improve our podcast, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. You can also DM us at Outliers Career Podcast on Instagram if you want to let us know who you think we should interview next. But that's all for me. I'll see you guys in the next episode.